Hey friends, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. If you aren't in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can also take your digital device and you can open the app. It's called the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app. And all the notes in the scriptures, we've already uploaded those for you. There's places for you to follow along, actually places for you to take notes, places for you to connect with other people, talk about a beautiful opportunity in this time where we are in shelter in place for you to be able to get on and to connect with people and do Bible studies with each other. And so I don't know where you are, but wherever you're watching from, I love you. Thank you so much for being a part of what it is that God's doing here. So many people have been tuning in. So many people received Jesus even just last week. And so I'm so excited about that. God will make good all things. And so today I want to talk to you on this final Sunday before Easter about a story from the gospels that so many of us have heard, but I think so few of us have truly understood. It's a story that's been labeled as the triumphal or the triumphant entry, but I would propose to you, it could also be called the tearful entry. Can we pray? God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for who you are. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. And so today we do that. We lift our hearts. We lift our eyes. We lift our hands to you today, God, and we surrender. And we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today, God, for my friends who are on the other side of this screen, I pray protection, I pray health, I pray provision. God, I pray that your word would enter into our hearts and it would change us, that we would become small so you could become big. In Jesus' name, amen. Palm Sunday, again, the final Sunday before Easter. The final Sunday before egg hunts and chocolate bunnies and baskets and what used to be Easter dresses and what used to be buildings filled with people. It is a Sunday that marks the beginning of what we in our Western culture call Holy Week, but it's a period that our friends, the Jewish people, to whom scripture was written incidentally, they referred to as Passover week. A week filled with preparation and anticipation, a week that led into the season of freedom a recognition of or a celebration of the freedom that God miraculously provided to them from slavery and the oppression of the Egyptian captivity. It was the biggest celebration of the year for God's people. I want you to think about it like it's a combination of like Mardi Gras and Super Bowl week all rolled into one. I mean, y'all, it was bananas. In Jerusalem, where the biggest celebration took place, the population in Jesus' day was about 25,000 people. But just during this week, it would swell by an additional 150,000 or more people. And so six weeks prior to the festival, all the roads would be repaired, wells would be dug, thousands and thousands of special ovens for roasting the sacrificial Passover lamb would be built. The city would be turned upside down as preparation for a time of remembrance and restoration. This was the time of year that all Jews believed eventually would initiate the return of the coming Messiah. Messiah, a word that's come to mean something different to us than it meant to them. You know, one of the things I think unintentionally gets lost over time is context. Like you can have a certain understanding of a situation or a story because of your current surroundings, that differ from the situation and the surroundings of the actual story and the context will be changed. 
And those differences, they can affect your understanding, context, it's critical. Uh, my, my friend Ray, he told me a story about a time when his wife and he had come home from a trip to Africa and they were showing the family pictures. And, you know, Ray's older, so he's a boomer. And so he actually like made up slides and, and built the little show. For him, he was excited because it was on his computer. It was like PowerPoint. And so he was you know, flipping through the PowerPoint slides, showing the pictures to his grown kids. And while he was showing the pictures to his grown kids, one of his grandsons was looking at a picture book filled with animals that they had brought back for him. When Ray got to a picture of an elephant, his grandson excitedly blurted out, look, a freaking elephant. <laughs> and the boy's mom, she scolded him. She's like, Baby, we, we, don't, we don't talk like that. To which Ray's grandson, like a true kid, responded, but it's a freaking elephant. His mom, embarrassed, reached over and she grabbed his knee like only a mother can do. And she said, what are you doing? We do not use that kind of language. And so Ray's grandson held out his book and he showed the picture on the page. It said, African elephant, African elephant. Context. Every year from the time of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, they gathered together during this week to celebrate Passover the time that God spared the sons of Israel from the death angel. The death angel passed over them. And during this celebration, every year, they waited in anticipation for the return of their Messiah, which in their context meant returning king. So they were waiting for a military leader who would come and overthrow their oppressors and return Israel to an independent state. But knowing that, during Passover week, the Romans would bring in extra troops as a sign of power to discourage any possible uprising of potential messiahs. And so it was into this atmosphere that Jesus and his disciples make their entrance into Jerusalem. But today I want to give you a little context into that arrival, into that triumphal or triumphant entry. See, the Gospels... Uh, they all mention this story, but they mention it in a different way. Nothing about the story, though, was coincidence. Let me give you a couple of examples. First, the route of Jesus' arrival was not a coincidence. Look at what the Gospel of Luke says. It says, Jesus went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. For Jesus to approach Jerusalem from this particular route, he would have had to journey through the wilderness. The same wilderness he had spent 40 days being tempted by the devil in, in Luke chapter 4. Think of the memories. Think of the reminders. Think of the triggers that must have gone off in his head. I wonder if he was thinking there has to be a better way. There, there must be another way. It was really another temptation. A temptation for Jesus to choose his own path. A temptation for him to choose the path of least resistance. And I wonder, are you ever tempted to take your own path? Have you ever been tempted to think that you knew more than other people, that you could do other things other than what you're being instructed to do or what you're being told to do? You ever feel like you know better, like you can go out when other people can't? Have you ever chose your own path, but by taking that path, by walking the difficult route, Jesus and his disciples, they actually emerged from the place that had been prophesied from which the Messiah would emerge. It wasn't some coincidence. Second, 
The day of Jesus' arrival wasn't a coincidence. Jesus and his disciples arrived on Selection Sunday. You see, on the Sunday before Passover, every Jew was required to choose the lamb that they would sacrifice that coming Friday. Jesus' arrival on this particular day was God's way of saying, here's your Messiah, he's my lamb, which for them changed the whole context of the story. God was saying, you've been looking for a conquering king when you should have been looking for a sacrificial lamb. This is my lamb. Will you choose him? But the people, they missed it. Watch what the Gospel of Luke says. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who are sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Watch this, because the Gospel of Matthew tells us what it was those people were saying, and this is so good. Here's what Matthew says. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is where the context becomes really important. Because when we read this story, we would tend to read the word Hosanna, and to us, that would be a statement of praise because many of us have heard the songs, we've sang the songs, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. So to us, we understand that Hosanna is a statement of praise because we know the end of the story. And it's always easier to know the context when you know the ending, which incidentally is why you need to be careful how you view your situations and your circumstances when you're still in the middle of them. Anyway. When we read this story, we read the word Hosanna as a statement of praise. But to those followers on that day, this was not a statement of praise. It was a political statement. To them, that word meant deliver me. It meant give me freedom. At its root, at its core, it meant save us. And it was the only word in the Hebrew language that could not be spoken quietly. That word had to be shouted, Hosanna! They were saying, save us! Interestingly, according to the American Lifeguard Association, 70% of all drownings happen because the victim refuses to shout for help. They think that they can save themselves. So these people were not shouting, Hosanna, praise be to the Son of God who, who came to die for our sins. We assume that, again, because we know the ending. But in their context... That wasn't their view of or expectation of the coming Messiah. And what I wonder is, what's your view of or your expectation of your coming Messiah? What are you expecting Jesus to do for you? What are you anticipating that Jesus is going to do for you? What they were really shouting was this, Hosanna, help us, deliver us, rescue us, save us. Save us because we're sick of these Romans and we're sick of their opposition and we're sick of their oppression. Deliver us to freedom. And it's in this context that we read the words of some religious leaders who were in the crowd. It says that some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, teacher, 
Rebuke your disciples. And some of us, we've looked at that and we've thought that they said that because Jesus was receiving their worship. But in that context, what they were really saying was, Jesus, you better shut these people up. Because if the Romans hear what's happening, man, we're going to all be slaughtered. Context. Here's the second thing that the Gospel of Matthew says that diverts the direction of the story. He says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, so many of us have heard, and I myself have even preached, about the palm branch being a symbol of praise. And in our context, that makes perfect sense. And to be clear, it doesn't make us wrong. But to these people in this context, these palms were not meant to be a symbol of praise. The last time the Jewish people had been free, the last time they had their own currency, the coins were stamped with their nationalistic symbol, the palm branch. In the context of that nationalistic culture, palm branches had nothing to do with peace or love. For a Jewish nationalist at that time, the palm branch was to them what the stars and stripes are to every proud American. These palm branches were were their way of saying, we want our freedom, we want our independence. See how the context changes? The story, it suddenly goes from a Hallmark movie with little kids running down with ribbons and deers running alongside them and, you know, a a Doris Day song being played in the background. It goes from this beautiful feminine Hallmark movie to an action film. Now watch what happens back in Luke. Jesus and his disciples, they're entering the city from the east as was prophesied. Rumors had already begun to circulate about this Galilean rabbi who performs impossible miracles, turns water to wine, feeds people by the thousands, stops storms when he speaks, walks on top of the water, heals the sick, even raises the dead back to life. This Galilean rabbi who speaks scriptures, not with the eloquence of someone who understands them, but with the authority of the one who wrote them. Word had begun to spread that their much anticipated Messiah obviously has finally arrived. And it is in that context that someone in the crowd looked up and recognized Jesus and started shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! But not as the lamb who's coming on Selection Sunday, but rather as the liberating, conquering king. And the masses frothed up into a frenzy and started waving palm branches, not as a symbol of praise, but as a statement of politics, not as a call to worship, but as a call to war. And scripture says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. And the Greek word used here actually means he wept out loud. He wailed. And he wept over the fact that these people totally missed it. Can you imagine what that crowd must have thought? We've just proclaimed him as our king and now he cries? But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They won't leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why did he weep? Because they were looking for peace in the wrong place. I wonder if that's true of you. 
Are you looking for peace in the wrong place? Are you looking for peace through people or possessions, physicians or politics? Or are you looking to the Prince of Peace, the gracious God through whom and only through whom Scripture says we are saved by grace through faith? I wonder, in the context of your life today, are you going to drown in silence? Or are you going to shout, Hosanna, Prince of Peace, gracious God, rescue me, deliver me, save me? I dare you, I dare you to shout out, Hosanna, save me. Because if you will, he will turn your tears into triumph. Would you bow your heads with me in here? You know, salvation at its core is Jesus turning your tears into triumph. And some of you right now in this time, you are shedding tears of fear tears of hurt. Some of you are struggling with sickness or have loved ones who are. And today, more than ever, it is paramount that we signal our Savior and shout out for salvation. So here's how we're going to do that today. If, if you're watching this and you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you need to, you want your tears to be turned to triumph. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if I pray this prayer and you repeat it after me, Scripture says if you mean it in your heart, you will be saved. And so I'm going to pray a line, and then if you pray that line after me, you will be saved. And so, Father, Jesus, we love you. I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? Would you change me? Would you forgive me? I believe you can. Would you make me different? Would you make me new? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, would you just click that button that says that you want to raise your hand? We would love the opportunity to follow up with you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you, to connect with you, to help you discover what it is to make the next step in your journey from who you are to who Jesus wants you to be. But, but, but just before we cut out of here, would you just bow your head just one more time? I wonder if you're here and you say, you know what, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. I know I'm going to heaven, but this thing is really weighing me down. You need to find peace. And you've been trying to find peace in all the different ways. You've been trying to find peace by filing for unemployment or, or, or applying for a stimulus package or hoping for a check to come in the mail. You, You've put on your mask and you've kept yourself in your house and all the steps you've taken and still you don't have any peace. I can tell you that's because you may be looking for peace in the wrong place. And so if you say, Sean, I want peace that can only come from Jesus, I want the opportunity to pray for you. And so Father, today for my friends, God, fulfill your name and be the Prince of Peace. God, bring that peace that surpasses all understanding. Help my friends, in Jesus' name, amen.